if you have an idea in mind that you either wanted to learn or the problem that you have solved at work, see if you can present that. So start with something that you know or something that you want to learn and maybe submit a this talk to your local meetups. So basically, advice is start with your local meetup, start with the topic that you want to learn or have experience with, and then use a friend or a mentor to get advice from them. Don't do it by yourself. So get your support group with you on this journey. Hello and welcome to Developer's Journey, the podcast bringing you the making of stories of successful software developers to help you on your upcoming journey. I'm your host, Tim Bourguignon. On this episode 216, I receive Shudi Kapo. Shudi is a staff software engineer in the Silicon Valley. She is passionate about helping the community and she creates educational tutorials on JavaScript, GraphQL and React. She's an international conference speaker, TC39 delegate, whatever that is, I hope we'll talk about that, and egghead instructor. Shruti, welcome to Journey. Hey Tim, thank you so much for having me here. My pleasure. But before we come to your story, I want to thank the terrific listeners who support the show every month. You are keeping the Dev Journey lights up. If you would like to join this fine crew and help me spend more time on finding phenomenal guests than editing audio tracks, please go to our website, devjourney.info, and click on the Support Me on Patreon button. Even the smallest contributions are giant steps toward a sustainable Dev Journey journey. Thank you. And now, back to today's guest. As you know, the show exists to help the listeners understand what your story looked like and imagine how to shape their own future. So as is usual on the show, let's go back to your beginnings. Where would you place the start of your dev journey? Yeah, I think the first time I experienced being a dev was when I was in grade seven. I took my first, well, actually, I didn't take. My dad enrolled me in my first HTML CSS JavaScript course and I was so furious because it felt so forced but the first day I attended the class they made me add like an HTML element to the page and it had like a marquee text and basically I put like welcome to my website on my site and it scrolled around I was like oh my god this is amazing I love this. (laughs) Do you have an idea why your dad enrolled you and uh, forced you to, to, to go through this class? I think he just wanted me to be like inclined towards computers and check out what this programming is like. So thanks to him, I am here. But uh, yeah, I was like so furious at him at that time. I was like, why do you want me to go to this like programming stuff? I don't even care about it. And then once I went there, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love it. I can like make text scroll on the website. What was so appealing? Was it interacting with the computer, telling the computer to, to do something? Can you put I think it was, yeah, like it was like making the computer do something that you want and putting something substantial on a web page. It kind of almost felt like I have this home on the internet, even though it was on my local computer. Nothing was on the website. 
nothing was on the server, but it's, it still felt like having like this little bit of home that I created on the internet, my little bit of creativity on the internet. And it felt really good to make the computer do something that I wanted it to do. I was fascinated by it. But you know what? Like after that HTML CSS course, like I didn't really keep up with programming. I kind of left touch, kind of got out of touch. And I started taking, like I got into my grade 11th and 12th, which is in India when you decide if you want to be like a medical field and or if you want to be like in the engineering field. So I knew like I wanted to be something in, I wanted to do something in computers, but wasn't really sure. All I had done was like this HTML CSS course. So I wasn't really clear. So I took engineering just because I did not want to learn biology. So that was my inspiration of getting into engineering degree. I hated maths, but I was like, you know what? I don't hate maths as much as I hate biology. So I'll take engineering. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reason. That's good enough. It was it was by the power of what I hate the most. And uh, yeah, so like in grade, so I, I, took, I took that stream then. And once I got into my first year of college, which is when we moved to Canada, that's when I realized like we, ha- we were introduced to a little bit of programming in year one. And that's when we had to decide if we wanted to do like what kind of engineering we wanted to do. So I liked the course that I did. It was a C course. And uh, I think the main reason I liked the course was the same reason that I got fascinated in grade, whatever that was, grade eight, because I did the C course and I was making this, I don't even remember, like it was like a for loop or something. But basically, like I could print on the computer my text 100 times and I didn't have to write it 100 times. I was like, this is fascinating. You can make the computer do like all this arduous work that you'd rather do. So you make the computer do the hard work. So I was really fascinated by that. So that's how I got into like, I guess, the C programming language. And when it was time to decide a computer or when it was time to decide in engineering, uh, it was actually one of the decisive factor for my career because I was part of this institute or club called IEEE, which is an institute of electrical and electronics engineers. But basically what that club means is that a bunch of different students in the university, they get together and they organize like events, workshops, training materials, kind of like an engineering club, if you would. And I was so fascinated by that and I wanted to stay in that. And I thought that if I wanted to stay in that club, I have to be an electrical engineer. So two hours before the deadline, when I was supposed to pick which engineering I was going to take, I was deciding between engineering and computer. And then I called up a friend of mine who was a who was a great mentor at the time. So I told him, I was like, you know what? I feel like I want to be a computer engineer, but I want to be part of this club. So should I take electrical engineer? He was like, you shouldn't decide your career based on a club. <laughs> you should pick that computer engineering. But did you manage to stay in the club while being in computer? I did. Yes. I did. <laughs> yeah. So basically like, oh my God, I think back about that moment and I still think about like, if I had not asked that question, I would have been an electrical engineer today. And I don't know what my life would have turned out like, but I would have totally missed out on being a programmer which I so enjoy today. And so that's how I got into computer engineering. So did like three more years of engineering in college, got out. Um, while I was in my engineering college, my dad again asked me to build a website for his business. He's like, oh, you you know, you're doing computer engineering. You can do this. I had no idea how to do a website. I had done like this HTML course, like I don't even know, like 10 years ago. And I was like, oh, okay, I can make something. I know I can read a tutorial. I can make something. And at that time, WordPress was the common thing. I mean, it's still a common thing. But uh, 
uh, to build a easy website, WordPress is the way to go. So I whipped him up a WordPress site and bought him a domain, bought him his hosting and actually like had like this place on the internet where my dad could host his website. And I felt super proud about myself. I was like, this is amazing. This brings me back childhood memories of putting like a home on the internet. And I wanted to do more of that. So that was really fun. So I think the skills that I learned at that time was like WordPress, CSS, not so much JavaScript. I'd actually not touched JavaScript for a long time since then. But yeah, like those are the skills I learned at the time. And I thought, you know what, like if I can make a quick website for my dad in like two weeks I could probably help other people as well so I wonder how many other small businesses could use that so I like went up on Craigslist to see if anybody else is hiring for WordPress engineers or like WordPress developers and I saw like so many people were looking for like small websites so there were postings on Craigslist being like I just want to put up my site I am like Baker or whatever and so I reached out to them I showed them the website that I had built and I said that I could do it for them for cheap. And they said, sure thing. So I whipped up the second website I'd ever made in two weeks of time using WordPress as well, using a default theme. I I think one of the uh, themes and I told them like, I'll customize it for them. And I did. And so that's when I started considering it seriously. And I thought this could actually be a career, like I could do this more often, and I could actually make money out of it. I think I was in my third year at that time of engineering school. And wait, 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 you were in your third year of engineering school. And, and at that point, you said, now it's starting to get serious. Now I could yeah. have a career of that. Yeah, you were not so convinced like- about that before. Yeah, that's a great question. So basically, like what we were learning in school was so different from what I was doing, like outside in this side project. So at school, we were learning all these like core programming languages like Java Mm -hmm. and C++ and um, like building actual robots. And I was like, oh, my God, I definitely don't know where I'm going with that. So but then when I did this WordPress thing, I was like, okay, that I can do like that I can make money off of. and in third year, I think that's the time when we were like building, I don't know, like v- hardware languages, like VHDL and stuff. I did not understand anything in school. It was so hard. And I remember like one time in my second year, we were building, I think it was a course where you had to build like a robot, basically metal, build it, program it. It was an entire like life cycle of building something physical and programming it. And I remember one of those days I was thinking, I was like, I don't think I'm made for this engineering. This is really, really hard and I'm not understanding anything. I don't know which course it was, but it just made me feel so low in life. And I almost quit my engineering career in my second year. But yeah, like in third year, when I when I got that, when I made that website, I was like, okay, you know what? This is a little bit substantial. This seems like something I can do. This seems like my cup of tea. And I started doing more and more of that. After, I think after I did a few websites, I thought, let's make it a little bit more official. So I started a company. It's called, it was very funny. It's called World Web Warriors, WWW. Because, you know, Why internet. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> World Web, web um, World Web Warriors. But anyway, so we basically targeted, our target audience was small businesses around Vancouver area, which is where I used to live in Canada. And we would reach out to them. It was me and another friend. So we would reach out to them and ask them if we could help them build their website. We had a really fast turnaround. So we'd get it done for them like over a weekend 
or over two weeks. So we had like a, we, we were really fast. And so they really liked that. And we were doing it on a budget, which like we understood nobody wants to spend like $10,000 for something that's really quick, like something that let's say you are a baker or your tattoo shop, you just want to put up your home up there. And so that's where I found my niche. Like that's where I found this idea. I did that for, I don't know, like three years. Um, after I graduated college, I was still doing this freelance thing, this web, this company thing. But you know what, it, it didn't generate enough business for me. It wasn't enough steady income. Like I had to do a lot of like finding the business, closing the contract, a lot of because there were just two people. I was doing all of the work myself and my co-founder. So and I also felt like I was doing Drupal and WordPress and HTML and CSS. But I didn't really know what the industry standard was, if this is what everybody else in the company in the industry is using or if this was even a recommended approach. So. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like enough income for me to kind of live off of it sustainably. So I thought, well, maybe let me find a job. And I started looking for jobs around in Vancouver area. Um, the jobs for HTML developers always kind of involved around like these React and Angular frameworks. And I had no idea how to do them. So I couldn't really find a good fit there. But then the jobs for my core engineering courses that I learned, like like C++, Python, Java, those also required a little bit of experience. And I went through some of their interview process, but I didn't like any of those jobs. It didn't feel like I could connect to them, right? And so I found out across this job in a digital, in a telecom company in Vancouver, it's called Telus Digital. And I found a role of automation engineer. It seemed like something that was an easy entry for me. So it was basically not a web developer job, but it was more like writing QA tests and writing automation QA tests. So you're actually using Ruby language. And I thought this would be a good opportunity for me to like actually see what the digital experience looks like at a telecom company, which is this big, but also learn from people and also get a kind of like foot in the So my first job was actually not of a computer engineer, but of an automation engineer. And I think like nine months into their job, I realized like I did not enjoy it as much as I enjoyed building websites. And when I saw my coworkers who, was de- who were developers, they were also building websites. I kind of wanted to do that. Like I wanted to step up and learn something else instead of doing automation engineering. So I reached out to the people, like the managers of that team, and I asked them if I could take some stories. I already have JavaScript experience. Like I already have PHP experience. I already know I have this background in computer engineering, so I can definitely learn it up. And they were very open to it. They were super supportive. So they gave me some time to learn JavaScript, to learn Angular, and I got my first story and after I finished that first story and merged that pull request I was like okay I found home this is where I belong (laughs) this is what I want to (laughs) do found it again (laughs) found it again yes keep like going in all these paths but keep ending back at the same place and Mm -hmm. so that's how my developer journey started that is really cool. That's really cool. Uh, looking at, at, at this QA job or automation engineer, as you called it, wouldn't you say that it, it was a coding job already? Just yeah. the focus on automation? Yes, definitely. So it was like writing QA tests. You are also writing codes. You're writing like Ruby code. But this code is used to test, create test suites that basically fire up a website, make sure it's doing what it needs to do. It's testing the functionality. Mm-hmm. It's not building the features of the website, but rather testing the features of the website. Mm-hmm, sure. 
Sure. I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but has this phase of, of testing very early on helped you later on in your career? Yeah, you know, like when I was a, a automation tester, one of the biggest things that I used to do was test accessibility of the website. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. like accessibility comes as like this last thinking, right? And I, because I'm writing for the because I'm writing for the computer, I need these dwell tags, these accessibility tags rather, right? So I need these tags. And sometimes we skip those as developers, right? We may not provide alt attributes. So even as writing like QA automation tests, I was finding that it was very hard to test them. And I figured out that basically if the computer is having problem, people who are reading using computer devices, mm. um, like screen readers are also having problem. So that's an area where I found like we often don't give enough attention. And I kind of became an accessibility advocate in my own company like we would send websites and we would make sure that they are accessible it was also required for us legally to be accessible so the question is like how do we make it accessible and I found that very interesting and I think like that information like that knowledge I learned during that time I still take on with me even now like whenever I'm building a UI I'm like okay does it have the right attributes is it navigable by keyboard is it tabable mm. does it have the proper focus so I still take that information with me still take that mm. knowledge with me I, I totally understand. I've had the chance to to work with with a gentleman who who was visually impaired, and seeing how he used this the screen reader was just mind blowing. He was able to find on a well formed page information way way faster than I was, because mm. he's just jumping from headline to headline, just dig 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 dig, finding the headlines he wants, just digging into it, going to the subheadlines, so H one, H two, H three, and finding exactly the information he wants really fast. Mm. I just couldn't understand a word of what the screen reader was saying, but he was making sense of all of it. But for that, it has to be well formed, and yeah. if you're not using H tags he's doomed. <laughs> so yeah. that, that was also mind-blowing for me and really eye-opening and saying, okay, we really have to stick to the standards, take care of those accessibility options. And then somebody who is visually impaired can be on the web way better than we are. And this is yeah. really cool. And so yeah. since then, I'm paying attention to that as well. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So obviously you stayed at this company for 25 years, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Almost. <huh? laughs> so, what, what did you learn at this company besides React and Angular, and what motivated you at some point to uh, to start a new adventure? I think the biggest thing that I learned at this company was being confident enough in your abilities to like ship out code. Before I started this, well, actually, before I even got into my first job, just in being in engineering school, I used to be so nervous about like being in the industry because I, I, I would see like Apple's website and I was like, there is no way I can build that experience. Like, there is no way I have the skills or would have the skills to build that experience. But, you know, like working in a company like Talos Digital or like working in a big team, you realize that you are not shipping software by yourself. You're shipping it with a group of people. You have a team who's supporting you. So you may not have a certain skill, but there are other people on their team who are there to help you, support you and help you gain that knowledge. And I think that was really powerful. Like that gave me a lot more confidence to be able to say like, okay, I don't know this right now. But I can reach out to people who can help me get there. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really big skill to learn in their job. Besides mm -hmm. the technical oh. skills, of course. Make, makes a lot of sense. And that, that, that just rings one bell. Before that, you were in a, in a two-person job. And so basically, mm -hmm. always in contact with your customers and really uh, having the whole software production life cycle from the, the requirement, the licitation, really understanding what the customer wants, all the way to putting it to production and, and making sure it works. How did that yeah. work out when you entered a big team? 
Yeah, it was amazing to see. So, for example, like when I was doing this two-person job, like this two-person team job, I was the UX designer, I was the visual designer. I would create mock-ups in in Photoshop, and I would show that to the client, get their feedback, review it, do it again, and then create the WordPress site or whichever site they wanted it to be, push it out, and like after it's pushed out, like do QA testing, but also like maintain it as it goes forward. And all of this is a job of like a whole like five person team in in a company, right? And so once I got onto a dev team, I was so amazed to see that there is different people for UX designers, and there's different people for visual designers. And there's QA testers who are like focused on exactly making sure that the website is running well. And then there's a product owner who's making sure that the product is looking good. So I was like, Okay, this is amazing. This blows my mind how many people are involved behind making a product. It's amazing. And that's one of the things I wanted to learn. Like in a two-people two company, you really are wearing all of these hats. But when I joined this big team, I was like, this is amazing to see so many people with so many different skill sets focusing on a single part of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's it's a loaded question, but did you feel boxed in into one role and not able to to do the rest still while doing your job? You know, I I kind of did. Like I was, I think I remember like talking to my UX designer and asking them like, why are we doing it this way? Why don't we do it like that way? Like I think it was a CTA button or something. And uh, when I asked them that question, they were like, so we have like heat maps. And we have talked to our customers and it seems like they look at this part of the screen better than this part of the screen. And I was like, what? There is science behind this? This is not just like, you know, this looks good to me and let's just do it. There is actually science behind this. It was so fascinating. I believe, yeah, when when you see for the first time people doing it and I'm making air quotes professionally and you've been yeah. doing it so that it works. But you yeah. see people doing it because they know it's right. I say, whoa, <laughs> yeah. I've been doing a lot of things right just from my gut feeling. Exactly. But seeing somebody do it right because they know it's right, ooh, that's a whole different level. <laughs> exactly. So you mean to say you have data behind this? There's yeah, actual exactly. data? <laughs> that's very cool. So, so why did you move away from this company at some point? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, so this, I worked at this company for three years. And at this point, like, I wanted to try out working in Silicon Valley. I've always wanted to work in Silicon Valley. And at the three-year mark, I was thinking if this would be a good time to move because I also met my now husband, then boyfriend at the time, who used to live in, well, who is living in Silicon Valley and used to live in Silicon Valley at the time. So it was kind of like a catalyst reaction. So my boyfriend was there and I have wanted to live in Silicon Valley for a long time. It was three years working in that job. So I thought it would be a good time to like try out something new. Um, So I moved after working in that company for three years and I've been in Silicon Valley for five years now and I really enjoy this. I love being here. It feels like such a nice vibe. It just, it feels so like work. It always feels like work mode here. I don't know. That's like always a good thing, but I'm glad I made that decision. If it fits your your personality, then then it's fine. <laughs> how how did you did you make that move? Did you search for a job first, and then at some point have the the assurance with big air quotes again uh, that you will find something, and then move in, or did you just uh, throw everything away and say, "Screw it, I'm going there, and I'm going to find a job"? How, how did you process this? A little bit of both. <laughs> All right. 
So like in April, I decided, okay, I want to move to Silicon Valley. Let's do it. And I started job hunting. I think LinkedIn was my primary job, primary job agency I was looking at. But yeah, so like I found, I found a job. They gave me an offer. I was very excited. I put in my notice. And the day that it was supposed to be my last day at Talus Digital, which was my previous company, the company resigned their offer. And basically, I was supposed to get on a plane next week, the week after, and I had no job in hand. But I was like, it's okay, I'll I'll figure it out. So once I landed here, I started looking for job again. And LinkedIn again was the main place I was looking for jobs. And thankfully, within a month of preparations and interviewing, I was able to find my next job in Silicon Valley. So thankfully, it wasn't as bad. I think I was pretty lucky during that time. But yeah, like I did have an assurance, then the assurance went away. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was it visa wise for you? Did, did, so is there is there some, some connection between Canada and, and the US so that you can move freely or? Yeah, so Canada and US are like, if you're going for work, then you have a TN visa, which is like very easily available. So once okay. I found the job, I went back and got my TN visa. But yeah, that's, that's basically all this new. You just basically walk up to the border, show your offer letter. Make sure that it looks good, and then you get you get a TN visa. Okay, yeah. My, my only experience with visa in the US was uh, when I was a student at the end of my studies, and and went to to finish so make my my end of studies internship kind of, and it was a nightmare getting oh. this visa between Europe and the US. It took months, and yeah. uh, thankfully the the company I was working for really helped in the process. So. Mm. Thank good for you. <laughs> Easy work. Yeah, I, I think I was definitely very lucky. The visa thing worked out, and I was able to find a job soon enough. Yeah. Okay, and how was it as a job? As amazing as the previous one, a team with with professionals showing you data and how they make it. All of that great. How was it? I think I think if I have to pick a between my previous job in Canada versus this job, I would have picked their previous job just because I liked the people there a lot more because I had made all these friendships over the last three years. So I really missed that when once I moved to Silicon Valley, I kind of missed that friendships that I had created. I think in this new company, what I really liked was I got to work both on Angular and React at the same time. And Mm -hmm. I also got to work on this really interesting problem where they had Angular, um, where the application was basically all Angular, and they wanted to introduce new components in React. And so that was a very interesting problem that not a lot of people were dealing with at the time. And so kind of like covering, uncovering how to do that was very interesting work. So I did enjoy working there a lot as well. Okay. Okay. Were you part of the, the, the community again, air quotes already at that time, or or was it not there in your life yet? I think I was, so at that time I was beginning to see that the community in Silicon Valley is so strong. I'd never kind of seen that in, in Vancouver. We, we do have some meetups and all, but it's not as big as it is in Silicon Valley. So, um, I when once I entered that job, I saw that there was a lot of conferences happening and I attended a few conferences as well. So I think that was when I realized like this is something that I want to do. Maybe I want to like speak up at a conference at some point in my life. That would be a big goal. I didn't realize that 
that would happen in the same year, which I was super thankful to. But basically, I went to like this one Google developer meetup organized by a community, by a community organizer here in Silicon Valley. I was really amazed by all of the talks. And I think one of the biggest things that I realized in that conference was that, you know, like it always felt to me like you have to be this expert and you have to talk about this like very hard stuff in your conference talk. But the people who were who got up on the stage basically talked about like, simple stuff like five new things in ES6 as simple as that but the way they explained it they resonated with all of the art like most of the audience and I think that's what makes it a very powerful talk and that's what I was really amazed to find like you don't have to talk about like this very hard topic or like you don't have to be an expert you can just talk about something simple but yet your talk can resonate with so many people in the audience and so I was like you know what I want to do this at some point maybe like three years down the lane I want to be a conference speaker Little did I know, a few months down the lane, I would actually be speaking up at a really huge conference um, called GraphQL Summit. But yeah, like th that's the job where I started to like see what's in Silicon Valley. It was kind of like in the heart of San Francisco, so also very easily accessible as well. <laughs> so tell us uh, that story, if you, if you will, how you ended up speaking of Gra uh, GraphQL uh, Summit. Yeah. Okay. So I went to this con to this Google developer meetup. And by that time, like I kind of wanted to share my experience of becoming a software developer in the Silicon Valley. So I wrote a blog post on how to be a Silicon, how to be a software engineer and like how to find your first Silicon Valley job. I think that was probably my first blog post that I ever wrote. Then I wrote another blog post. I can't remember on what, but some JavaScript concept, like I think it was explaining promises or something. And so, so I went to this Google developer community meetup and there was a contest there that if you tweet a lot, then you get like a Google prize. I think it was like a Google home mini and I was like the loudest person in the audience I was tweeting I was taking photos I was so excited because you know it was my first conference basically I was so excited and so when they announced the winners I was one of the winners and so I think that's how like they kind of took notice of me I guess but I was really thankful to the person who reached out to me her name is Tracy Lee After the conference, she reached out to me. I think she might have seen my blogs. I don't even know. But she reached out and asked me, like, would you be interested in doing a talk at our next meetup? I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is this my manifestation in the universe just coming true? Like, I wanted to ha this to happen, and it's happening. So I was like, absolutely, I would love that. But I have no experience speaking. I don't know what to talk about. So she said, why don't you just talk about anything that you want to learn or any Google related technology or anything web. And at that time, progressive web apps was something that I wanted to kind of learn. So I was like, okay, I'll take some time, learn about progressive web apps and talk about that. What do you think? She was like, yeah, that's perfect. So I took like two months to understand progressive web apps. And the first talk that I gave was in my meetup at Google's campus. It was so amazing to go there as a speaker. And I gave a talk on what is PWA, progressive web apps, and how to use them, how to create one. Basically, it was kind of like a one-on-one of progressive web apps. Something super simple, but something that I had never ever used. So that's how I got into my first conference, my first uh, speaking engagement. And uh, after I did that, I really liked that. Like, that was amazing experience. I was so shaking on the stage. Like, when, once I walked up, I was almost thinking I should, like, just cancel this because I, I was so nervous. But after I got off the stage, I was like, all right, let's do this again. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's all. what happens. Right after the event, you sign up for the next. And, exactly. And you regret it. But... 
it's done. You're you signed up now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I was so happy. And so then I I had quit my job at the previous company, like Pick System. I quit my job there and I had moved on to PayPal. So by, by that time, I was already working at PayPal. And a few months down the lane, like I started to work with GraphQL at PayPal. And I realized like one of the areas where not a lot of talks were given was like using state management with GraphQL. And that was something that I was working on at PayPal and I had a lot of trouble with it. I did not understand a lot. And I was like, maybe other people are facing the same problem. So I wanted to pitch that idea to the conference. So Apollo actually organizes GraphQL Summit in Silicon Valley. And I uh, submitted a CFP. I was like sure that they wouldn't pick me, but they did. I was very thankful. <laughs> and I talked about like, I basically talked about the problem that I was solving at work, which is like how to use state management in a GraphQL app. That was my first actual conference talk. I think there were like, I don't know, 500 people in the audience. I got up on the stage, talked about how we solved GraphQL. I was shaking on the stage again. My hands were like this whenever I was trying to move my keyboard. But once I got off the stage, I was like, this was cool. I think we can do it again. <laughs> did you get some feedback about this talk of uh, about how you did state management with GraphQL? I actually did not get feedback from the audience, but I reached out to some of my mentors who were in the audience for feedback. They they, they gave me some really valuable feedback and advice. And uh, yeah, like I used that feedback to incrementally improve. I think I'm still improving my talks and my speaking mm -hmm. uh, behavior on the stage. But yeah, like... Getting up on the stage the first time is the hardest. And, and since then, it just gets easier and easier. Does it? I think so. Okay. I, I'm still shaking each time, even though I have almost 100 talks behind me. Every oh, yeah? time it's just stage fright. And I, I know I'm going to do good, but I'm scared nonetheless. And, and actually, the talks where I wasn't scared or not as scared were the ones that didn't go so well. Oh, which, which is very, very weird. Hmm. But yeah, you know, I still do get stage fright. I definitely do. I think I'm not shaking anymore. But before the talk, I'm like, why did I sign up for this? Should I do this? Should I delay this? I definitely still have the stage fright. It gets easier mm -hmm. after every talk. But I, I don't know if it ever goes away. But at least you know it's coming. So so you, you're not scared of what's happening. You know it's just, yeah, that's the new normal. <laughs> so yeah. just deal with it. It's going to go better. <laughs> yeah. You know, once you get up on the stage, it's going to be better. Mm -hmm. So did you did the, the, the kind of talks you give change over the years? They mostly have been about problems that I've solved at work. Mm -hmm. I think over the last two to three years, I've started given, giving a lot more unrelated to my work talks. So recently I gave a talk about React 18, the newest updates and how to use them, which had nothing to do with things that I do at work. So lately it has been a lot more about what I am finding interesting in the in the tech space. Um, so it has been a lot more. So it kind of like moved from something that I was doing at work to something that I enjoy diving in into a lot of that stuff for example with graphql as well is something that i am just doing on my own time on the side project and just talking about it mm -hmm. nobody's listening is it an excuse to learn thing oh definitely definitely <laughs> i think like there's a phrase for it like like conference driven learning and yes. i think it is it's oh my god like when you have that pressure on you to like deliver something good it works very well yeah we, we all have 25 or 
or 2,500 pet projects. And at some point, somebody has to prioritize. And so if you submit for talk somewhere and it gets picked, then it's prioritized. <laughs> now exactly. you have to pick that one. <laughs> exactly. And you have to make it look nice. So you have to polish mm -hmm. it up and you have to make sure there's no bugs because people yes, will talk about it. <laughs> On Twitter. It would be very vehement about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so but yeah, no, that, that definitely helps. So how was the, the COVID phase for you? with probably zero talks or almost close to zero talks? You know, I actually gave a lot of digital talk uh, or like virtual talks during the COVID. Yeah. And one thing I realized is like virtual talks is not as good as in-person talks. You don't have the same feedback. You're mm -hmm. basically talking to your boring screen and pretending like anybody is listening to you. You don't know. Maybe there's literally nobody on the other side, but it's, it's not as fun. Like it's, I think it's, it's a little easier to do because you have notes by your side. So you can just like look at them when you forget something or when you're recording it. But you don't get to see the audience faces. And that's what I miss the most. I don't think mm. like virtual talks can be placed in person talks. Nope. I, I totally agree with that. I, when I start a talk, I always search for somebody in the front row. And, and that's going to be my buddy for the whole talk. Exactly. And I'm, I'm going to talk to that person. And then, so <laughs> exactly. looking at the whole room, but at the end of every sentence, going back to them and looking exactly. at their eyes. Are, are they still there? Are they still following? Does it look puzzled? Was it maybe not <laughs> as clear as it should have been, et cetera? And really, really talking with this person. And when you're, when you're, when I'm in my, in my office right now in my basement with nobody around and just talking to my camera, this felt so weird. Yeah. You don't have any feedback. You don't know if that guy, if that buddy in the front row is following or if he's asleep already. And exactly. Said, oh, this is, now it feels so weird. Uh, you don't know if your connection is active. You don't yes, know if exactly. everybody dropped off. <laughs> exactly. And you have, you have, you don't see also this, this light bulb moment when, when their eyes go, go wide yeah. and say, oh, that's what he meant. And so, yeah. No, it's it's not that good. Not as good. It's not. Maybe, it's not maybe, as maybe good. I should I should line up my kids here and talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> they won't understand anything. It's too, too small, but <laughs> you know, in a couple of years maybe. Yeah. Oh. So do you have some more talks planned for the future? Still things you want to learn and and already submitted maybe? I have one talk that I'm really looking forward to. It's actually in London and I'm really excited Ooh. to fly to London. Nice. But this talk is going to be about the concurrent features in React 18 and how you can take your app and see if there's any problems in there, especially like with heavy rendering, network performances, and see if you can put React 18 to use there and see which features of React 18 you can use. So basically the idea is you take your existing app, make it more performant by using a React 18 feature. I'm excited. I can I can tell. If you you talked a bit about about it already, but, but let's let's wavel in a little bit more. Picture somebody who hasn't given a talk yet, who has been maybe to a meetup or two and has seen what what's been happening, but didn't muster the courage to to give a talk. What would be the, the one advice you could give them to say, well, try it out? Yeah, great question. I think one of the biggest things we hold back ourselves from is we, we have this fear that the audience is there to judge us and they are going to be very mean to us. But actually, people in the audience want you to succeed and they are actually rooting for you. So what I, my advice would be is if you have an idea in mind that you either wanted to learn or an idea that you or the problem that you have solved at work, see if you can present that. So start with something that you know or something that you want to learn. 
and maybe submit a this talk to your local meetups um and these are great place to start because they are always looking for speakers the number of people who attend these meetups is usually small so it's a pretty safe space to start off and the speak and what you can do is let's say that you have a few different ideas you're not sure which one is the best one or if any of them are good you can submit those ideas to the organizer of the meetup and they can give you feedback and so take that and make an outline from there and see if somebody who has done some talks before or somebody you admire your mentor can help you kind of revise that talk and practice that talk with you so basically advice is start with your local meetup start with the topic that you want to learn or have experience with and then use a friend or a mentor to get advice from them don't do it by yourself so get your support group with you on this journey that is awesome i just want to piggyback on that because i have i heard one story one time and it just blew my mind one acquaintance of mine was running the elm meetup in london and he said one of the best talks they got was from a former i think it was java developer who just has learned about elm and came to present his journey on learning Elm. Elm is, is pretty much a niche or was a niche at that time. And so the attendees of the meetup were very experienced with Elm. They were, they were guys who loved it from the get-go and really had already months or years under their belt. And somebody came to give basically Elm 101. And they were all there to see what is it like to experience Elm for the first time? And it was one of the of the, the the best talks they had because everybody was so excited to hear this. And so, if it's for me the the the, the example of uh, I would have assumed Elm one hundred and one in a in a meetup where everybody's already experienced, nobody will care. And it's yeah. exactly the opposite. And I, I love yeah. this. That's so, amazing. That's a great story to hear. They, they really wanted him to succeed. And so that's mm -hmm. exactly what he said. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So. And you know, some like uh, that's a very great advice because somebody like that has a very fresh perspective on Elm or any other technology that other people mm -hmm. who are ex more experienced with do not have. So anybody in the audience, if they are looking to give like their first one-on-one -on -one talk, it's a great topic at all times. Absolutely. And one more thing as well. It's, it's not your responsibility to decide if it's the right talk for this conference or not. Absolutely. There's a committee Absolutely. or there's organizers for that. So you just Absolutely. submit. And if they think it fits in the program, in the buildup they are creating, then they will pick you. And, and maybe it will. I've, I've, I've uh, organized a few conferences and we always had some, okay, we're going to have this talk, which will be introductory. And then we're going to have that one, which will go a bit deeper. And then we're going to have those two, which will go very deep on those two topics. And we really needed the buildup. And so yeah. we had to find a talk, a one-on-one -on -one talk. And it was important to us. And so we went there to find find somebody to do that. So, And that might be uh, a bit uh, counterintuitive if you don't know about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think very, those are some talks that most people resonate with as well in the audience. Mm -hmm. That that is very true. I've seen I've seen that as well. So, go for it. Absolutely, go for it. Go for it, <laughs> Shruti. It's been fantastic. Thank thank you very much for sharing this 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 journey, starting in India, going to Canada, then in Silicon Valley, and dwelling with the communities and and advocating for more talks. It's really cool. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It has been my pleasure. So where can we advise the listeners to go and start a discussion with you? 
Yeah. So if you want to reach out to me, send me a direct message on Twitter. My handle is ShrutiKapoor08, my first name, last name, and 08. You can also find blogs and articles that I write on similar topics, React Craft, motivating yourself as a developer, giving your first conference talk on my website at ShrutiKapoor.dev, dev as in dev journey. Yeah, those are the two main avenues. Awesome. And we'll add links to the show notes so you don't have to search for that or, or write it down in a hurry. They will be there. Shruti, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much, Tim. And this has been another episode of Devil's Journey. And we'll see each other next week. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this week's episode. If you like the show, please share, rate, and review. It helps more listeners discover those stories. You can find the links to all the platforms the show appears on on our website, devjourney.info slash subscribe. Creating the show every week takes a lot of time, energy, and of course money. Would you please help me continue bringing out those inspiring stories every week by pledging a small monthly donation? You'll find our Patreon link at devjourney.info slash donate. And finally, don't hesitate to reach out and tell me how this week's story is shaping your future. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Timothep, T-I-M-O-T-H-E-P, or per email, info at devjourney.info. Talk to you soon.